Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports Carolina, right here on WWBG 1470 AM and Radio.com. And boy, do we have a lot, a lot of sports to talk about today. We're going to go ahead and talk about the Carolina Panthers. Who's going to be the next head coach of your Panthers? Number two, we're going to talk about the NFL playoffs. Unbelievable games coming up. And we're going to have a special guest the second segment, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer and New England Patriot legendary cornerback Ricky Reynolds will be joining us. We will talk about the Hornets. And do they have the right coach or is it time to make a move? Also, we have ACC. That's right. ACC basketball to talk about. And then later on in the show, we're less than three weeks away. It's NASCAR racing we're going to talk about. We're going to also have a very special guest for you then as we are planning on having award-winning NASCAR reporter from Fox Sports. Bob Pockris on with us as well. So let's go ahead. Let's get it started. And, you know, we talked about this last week. We hit on it some, and I don't know why David Tepper is making this decision so much more difficult than it needs to be. That's David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers and the Charlotte FC And you wonder, what is he doing? What is he doing? You know, I'm going to tell you right now, okay? If David Tepper does not pick Steve Wilkes as his next head coach, it just shows you how poor of an excuse he is for an owner in the National Football League. I said it. I said it. How can't you pick this guy? What do you look for in a head coach? You look for a coach who has a proven track record of winning. All right. Steve Wilkes took over one in 14 that was decimated. Didn't even want to play anymore. Got him to go six and six. Easily could have been eight and four, but it is what it is. Okay. You look for leadership. Don't tell me this guy has not proven the ability to have leadership here. He's changed his culture 180%. Just unbelievable what this guy has done. The players have bought into him. They want to play for him. They want to win for him. They want to throw it to the wolves for him. Do whatever is necessary to win. Okay? You can't get that from players just by putting any other coach in there. Okay? The real the results on the field show the image of the coach. If that hasn't been more exemplified in the last 12 games of the season, I don't know what you've been watching. Steve Wilkes has completely changed 
the image of this team, the culture of this team, and has gone back to Carolina Panthers football. And that's what you want in a coach. Yes, Frank Reich is out there. What has he done lately except lose? All he's done is lose. In Indianapolis, they had to throw him out of there. Jim Caldwell, not a bad coach. Give him a lot of credit. 62 and 50. They're talking about Ken Dorsey, the offensive line, um, offensive coordinator in Buffalo. Okay, hasn't proven anything yet. Steve Wilkes just did what he just showed you, um, showcased for you the past 12 weeks what he can do as a head coach. I'm telling you what, it just goes to prove to you that David Tepper needs to be the thrown the heck out of town. Now, you know what, folks? We have some NFL playoffs coming up. We're going to go over those quickly. I'm going to go over it quickly for you. Unfortunately, doesn't contain the Carolina Panthers. Does include one team in the NFC South. The um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers play the Cowboys Monday night. We'll go over that in a minute, but let's look at this. Starts off Saturday, uh, 3.30 p.m. The Seattle Seahawks, led by unbelievable Geno Smith and what Kenneth Walker, who have been playing unbelievable this year, over the high-powered octane of the San Francisco 49ers. I don't see the 49ers losing in this game. I really don't. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey, um, but Debo Samuel, uh, um, uh, Brock Purdy is playing real, real well. Only way they have a chance to win this game, Seattle, is to put so much pressure on Purdy and stop McCaffrey that it just makes him make so many mistakes, and I do not see that happen. 49ers over Seahawks, my prediction. Meanwhile, everybody's calling this could be the closest game of the week. The Jaguars and the Chargers. Justin Bear, can he do it? He has some weapons out there as well, um, you know, and we'll have to see how he does. But how about those Jaguars as well? The Jaguars are starting to play well under Trevor Lawrence. Um, what, they got uh, the running back, and they got some good receivers. Should be a good game, but I'm taking the Chargers with the points, minus two and a half points. Meanwhile, Dolphins and Bills, don't even turn on your set, folks. It ain't going to be a game. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and the rest of this team have something to play for. They're going to win this game. Meanwhile, Giants and the Vikings. Vikings acquired 13-4 and four this year, but have one of the better teams. Have a decent defense. They have what? Jefferson, the receiver, and probably one of the most underrated um, quarterbacks in the league. I have the Vikings defeating Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and the Giants in this game. Meanwhile, Ravens and Bengals, looks like Lamar Johnson is not going to be playing in this game. I picked the Bengals, Joey Burrows, Jamar Chase in this game over the Ravens. Then Monday night, it's the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. Cowboys have a habit of losing big games. What do I think in this game? I think they lose a big game. I'm taking the Buccaneers. Tom Brady, look out for this defense of the Buccaneers that likes to start playing football when they get to the playoffs. And who knows? Maybe playoff Lenny will show up. Buccaneers win this game by at least a field goal. So that is our NFL update there on the playoffs.
But, you know, folks, it's halfway in the season. Halfway right now. And the Hornets look terrible. And you can put a capital T on that word terrible because they don't have the greatest offense to begin with. They have what I call a very inconsistent offense. They're either good or they're bad. They're never in between. They have a terrible defense, and they're losing a lot of these games in the final 10, 12 minutes of games, which tells me they are not – that I don't know if they're not in enough shape to win these games at the end or what the reason is. But right now, at the halfway mark, this team is eight and a half games out of the playoff. What do they call it? The play-in tournament game to see if you get to make the playoffs. Okay? Can things change around? I never say never. But it is not, and I repeat it, it's not going to change with the current head coach. How the heck do you expect to win for a coach that the team has stopped playing for this. Last week we talked about this a little bit on Frankly Speaking Sports Carolina, but this team is telling you, even when you interview the players, they're telling you we're not listening to the coach. We're getting disappointed and frustrated with the system not necessarily working, and we're going back to do it our way. It's one thing if your team believes in the coach, but if they don't, you have to make them move. Michael Jordan is the owner of this team, probably one of the, if not the greatest player to ever play in the NBA. But when it comes to making decisions, making coaching moves, and making administrative moves, he has a lot to learn when it comes to the NBA game. There's no accountability on this team, from the coaches to the players to the front office right now. They talk, Clifford talks about Gordon Haywood coming back. Okay, Haywood comes back, and I'm a huge Gordon Haywood fan. But he's only going to be back for two or three games before he gets hurt again. Okay, there needs to be a move. They have talent on this team. Players are getting healthy. But unless there's a change in leadership, we talked about this at the beginning of the show with the Panthers and now still Steve Wilkes has changed that culture for the Panthers. Clifford has not. He needs to go, and you need to make a move quickly. I don't care what the move is, but anyone can do better than this guy is doing as long as the players believe in that individual. It's disgusting to see a team play like this, especially the way the Hornets are playing. Now, we talked about NFL playoffs coming up, folks. I'm going to tell you what, as I take a quick sip of my water right here. We got some exciting NCAA basketball coming up this weekend besides the NFL playoffs and everything else going on in the world of sports. ACC basketball starts off with Miami 14-2, 5-1. in the conference versus NC State. Okay, versus NC State. Both of these teams, both of these teams, you know, you know, are playing some good, good basketball right now. You do not, you do not want to let this game go down to free throws. You do not want to let it go down to free throws as North Carolina State is only 71.1%, 167th in the country in free throw shooting. But they've been playing well, baby. NC State's led by Jaquavian Smith, 19.6 points a game, 3.7 rebounds, 4.8 assists. How about Jockel Joyner? 
16.3 points, 4.4 rebounds, 3.5 assists. And then my guy that I love to watch when I watch NC State, DJ Burns Jr., who's averaging 9.7 points and 4.4 rebounds a game. But Miami's a different team altogether. They're led by Isaiah Wong, 16.7 points. They got Nachad Omir, um, who is 13.9 points. Um, he's actually 61%, folks. Um, Nachad Omir is hitting from the field. And then they got God Jordan Miller, who's averaging 15 points and is shooting 52.6% field goal. But this could be a good game. But what they're going to have to do is NC State's going to have to force the ball a little outside. Um, they must force them into taking three-point shots. I think if they can play a tight defense on the inside of the game on defense, they can force Miami, who's not a very, very good three-point shooting team, uh, to go ahead and shoot from the outside. I think that's 33% from three-throw line. NC State could go ahead and upset Miami in this game. We move on more ACC basketball. Four good games this weekend. Number 24, Duke. I call them the overrated Duke team. Versus the best team in the ACC right now, Clemson, who's 14-3, and 6-0 in the ACC. Clemson, best ACC free throw team by far. They are led by Hunter Tyson, 16.2 points a game. He's hitting 44%. From three-pointer, P.J. Hall, 12.4 points, and Chase Hunter. Duke has had to come back in their last game, as you all know. I thought they were going to lose the game, folks. They came back against Spit. They're led by Kyle Filipowski, 14.7 points, 8.9 rebounds. Jeremy Roach is out another week, at least another week with a toe. They need a big name from uh, God Ryan Young and God Jerry Proctor in order to have a chance in this game. I take Clemson. The only thing Clemson needs to do to make sure they win this game is to rebound a little bit better. Duke is not a great team. Don't let their record fool you. I got Clemson winning this game by far. Meanwhile, North Carolina at Louisville. Great time for North Carolina to be playing Louisville, who's obviously not a good team. 2-15 and 15 overall. 0-6 in the conference. Peter Nance is out. Amanda Bake out. We don't know how long he's out. So they're going to have to rely on Justin McCoy and Jalen Washington. Uh, Washington scored. Came up big. 13 points versus uh, UVA last game. But those two are going to have to come up. Meanwhile, they're going to now have to change their game from that inside high percentage scoring to an outside shooting game, which has not been that effective. Caleb Love, who's averaging 16.6 points a game, and R.J. Davis, who's averaging 16.4, are going to have to come up big in this game. They also need to use Seth Trimble a lot more in this game. Uh, Louisville, you know, they're just, a, I, I hate to say it, they're an all-around terrible team. They're led by L. Ellis who is averaging 17.5 points a game. I'm taking North Carolina. Then let's go ahead and wrap it up. Wake Forest, 12-5, 4-2 in the conference. First, Boston College, 8-9, and 2-4 in the conference. Wake has won their last four to five games. They're starting to play good basketball. 
Tyler Appleby's averaging 17.8 points a game. And Cameron Hildreth had 23 points performance last game against FSU. And Damari Monsanto also had 20 uh, points the past two games. I don't even look for this game to be close. I'm taking Wake Forest versus Boston College. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports Carolina here on WWBG 1470 AM and TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. You know, folks, you look at the upcoming playoffs, and you're talking about in the NFC, the San Francisco 49ers, maybe the LA Chargers in the AFC, but, you know, when you look at this team, the teams that are going to be in the playoffs, you know, and we look at the NFC South, where the Carolina win, there's only one team that made it from the South, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yet, everyone, everyone is counting the Buccaneers out. When you look at experience, the Buccaneers have it. When you look at talent, boy, oh boy, do they have it. So why can't, why can't the Tampa Bay Buccaneers possibly make a run at the playoffs? Every team is zero and zero. Enter in the playoffs. It's a one-game elimination, and it is my great honor, thrill, and pleasure to welcome in legendary Tampa Bay Buccaneer and former New England Patriot cornerback Ricky Reynolds on the Frankly Speaking Sports Carolina Hotline. Ricky, how you doing today, buddy? Good, Larry. Good. I'm glad to uh, have the opportunity to get on here. Yeah, and you know. I love talking Buccaneer football with you, Ricky. But before we get to Buccaneer football, Ricky, I want to talk about something that I've known the past probably uh, seven to ten days has been asked to you a lot. But I want to get your opinion on this and your feeling on this. And I'm talking about the Jamar Hamlin incident that happened on Monday Night Football where he went into cardiac arrest. I mean, you being a former cornerback, being on that field before, taking hits before, what kind of perspective did that put to you as far as football goes related to life? It was um, it was very humbling, you know, um, uh, sitting there watching and um, kind of realizing what was going on as you, you know, watch the TV, the telecast uh, kind of unfold. Um, and, and watching the expression of the players and, and um, you know, some of the coaches that were on the field, it really kind of, like you said, put it into perspective of, uh, you know, uh, this, the, of the game and, and how dangerous and violent it can be. And uh, also for myself to, to, you know, be able to make it through, um, you know, as healthy as I am, 
in, in, in unscathed and, and think of, you know, that this could have been me, you know, this easily could have been me you know, on the field, um, you know, where someone had to try to save my life. So uh, it's, it's definitely a, a humbling experience. It was, it was a scary moment. You know, my heart just kind of dropped, you know, and uh, I was very nervous at the time and uh, sending up much prayer, you know, uh, during the, those moments. So it, it was, it was scary, it was a scary time. Yeah, and I think it was scary for all of us. A lot of us, like you said, at first didn't know what was going on. And as we heard the news, you know, we realized how much, how serious this incident was. One of the things before I get into the Buccaneers that I wanted to ask you about is players. You know, owners, for some reason, Ricky, and this is just my opinion, of course, owners don't think of players in 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 respect to what they have to deal with off the field. They only, in my opinion, say, okay, what can you perform on the field? And whatever happens after that happens. I speak of that because right now, good reason, the Buffalo Bills did the right thing, paying this kid his entire salary. But in the um, players' union, it says that half of your salary will be cut if you are injured. There's no guaranteed money for um, this young man, and you're not vested um, for health insurance, I think it's after your third year. What is your opinion on all of that? Well, <laughs> of course, uh, I'm definitely on the player's side because, um, like you said, uh, we're out there, we're putting our bodies on the line uh, every day, you know, you know, practice, uh, game time, uh, and all of that. And not only that, uh, I, don't, I don't care how long you play, it, it affects your future, you know? Sure. And so it's um, something that uh, we've been fighting for for a long time. And, and one of the, the, the main issues that players want are, are taken care of. You know, once once their careers are done, they, they just want to be able to go to the doctor and be able to have uh, some of those things that, uh, you know, you were injured uh, in the time of uh, your career and um, ha- just have the opportunity to be able to get, you know, first class uh, medical health care, you know, in, in order to uh, help yourselves to be able to, to survive uh, through your late years in life. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I go to the NFLPA meetings, you know, local chapter meetings and things in this area. And um, you wouldn't believe that, you know, some of the guys that you see that, you know, everybody used to cheer for back in the day, you know, coming in with limps and guys on crutches and things of that nature. So it's um, it's a really tough thing to see. And you would hope that, uh, you know, the NFL would, you know, get their acts together and, and, and really help the players, you know, after their careers are over. All right, Rick, as we switch gears, we're talking. Talking to Ricky Rabbit Bay Buccaneer, New England Patriots cornerback um, on the Frankly Speaking Sports Carolina Hotline. Playoffs start, and we say playoffs, and, you know, you know, is there any reason in your mind why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, with the experience and the talent they have, starting a brand, as you and I both know playoffs are, is there any reason why this team doesn't have the ability to make a run for it? Well, yeah, <laughs> there are reasons. Um, number one reason is that offensive line is uh, really scary. I mean, you can't you can't run the ball, you can't protect Tom Brady, and if that's the case, it, it makes it real tough to put points on the board, you know. And 
And the other thing is that, you know, you just have to look at how they perform throughout the season. This team offensively really hasn't, hasn't had it together. You know, I think they're only averaging maybe 17 points a game. And it's hard to win if, if you're only putting up that many points, you know. So um, in order for this team to uh, get themselves back going, you know, they have to get the offense wrong. they got to be able to protect, have to be able to run the ball a little bit, especially this time of year. Um, you know, the first game here will be in Tampa. Um, you know, the weather should be decent. So it's not like you have to go up north and, and play in the cold weather. In, in, in those situations, you definitely need a running game because it's, it's tough to, to pass in, uh, in, in inclement weather that's uh, rough, especially up north. So it's, it's something that, um, you know, we're, we're hoping that these guys can get it back together, get it back going. But when you look at their overall season, you know, they are who they are. You know, they're, they're a team that, that don't score a lot of points. And they're a defense that's been inconsistent throughout the year. Even though they do have really good players, they've been very inconsistent. And um, we have to uh, we have to try to get some consistency back to get these guys to play on a high level. You know, you hear about the coach, and you know, I watched Todd Bowles. I got to watch him in New York when he coached the Jets, and I had my opinions of him there. But my question to you, as a fan, I've always heard from former players that. A lot of times you take on the image of your coach and you experience a high, fiery type guy, in-your-face type coach. Todd Balls are very calm, easygoing. Is this a case where maybe the coaching style of Todd Balls is the incorrect style? Or I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, we know it's the players not executing the plan, but what kind of effect does Todd Balls have in – this that maybe Bruce Arians didn't have? Well, I mean, um, coaches are very effective. I mean, you can see it in, you know, coaches that go from one team to the next. Wherever they go, they win. You know, you have other coaches that, that aren't as successful. And so uh, a coach definitely can put his mark on a team, uh, number one. But – um, I don't. I don't know if uh, Todd Bowles, if his you know demeanor or uh, you know lack of you know fiery you know you know self would um, be the reason why this this team is not uh, executing. You know, I think it, it will really come down to just the X's and O's and, and coaching and and being able to prepare a team uh, because uh, during the course of the week. You know, each team prepares and gets ready for for the game. And if you don't prepare properly or don't get your team ready to go out there and execute, you're not you're not going to go out there and play well. So, uh, you know, what you're getting is is probably you know what's happening during the course of the week as far as uh, you know preparation and execution and all that sort of stuff, and uh, being able to take it from practice onto the game field. And, and make you know um, yep. that's that's what it really comes down to. That's what it really comes down to is those teams that, that work hard in practice. Everybody works hard pretty much, but you got to be consistent and you got to be able to uh, really execute in practice and be able to take it to the field. And those teams that do it well are the ones that that perform well on Sundays. You know, Ricky, you see Tom Brady this year have glimpses of wow, the same Tom Brady you saw it versus what Carolina a couple weeks ago. 
you seem to have so many great games as well. In your opinion, from what you've seen of Tom Brady, is some of this or all of it maybe um, him maybe not trusting his risk to do the things he's done before? Is it maybe what you said earlier and not trusting the offensive line to give him enough time? Or the latter part, um, is Tom Brady, you know, possibly getting to that point where he's deteriorating a little bit? <laughs> well, I say a combination of, of those things. I, I don't think uh, he, as far as him and the receivers go, I, I don't think there's a lack of trust there. I think, if anything, it's more so with the offensive line and as um, any quarterback, you know, consistently gets hit, they, you know, it's it's hard to just stay in there and 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 not think about that, you know. And as as the game goes on or as the season goes on, you consistently get hit. Eventually, you start looking for that, you know, it, it, and and you start uh, thinking that I got to get the ball out quickly because, uh, you know, eventually you you come to find out that I only have so much time. You know, because week in and week out, I only have this much time to get rid of the ball. And so, so when those things, and you're constantly getting hit, especially in the mouth, <laughs> um, you start rushing your throws. And then when you start doing that, then your throws are off, your throws are high, you know, you start going interceptions, things of that nature. And, it, and things begin to get tough. So I think a lot of it has to do with the, uh, the offensive line play. And I think that he's, he's starting to, uh, you know, starting to deteriorate a little bit. He's not as consistent as he's, he's been. Um, he, you see quite a few bad throws, you know, yep. this season. There's a lot, a lot more bad throws. There's throws that are short, throws that are long, you know. So it's been a lot more inconsistent play out of Tom Brady this year than you've, you've seen uh, in his entire career. We're talking to Ricky Reynolds, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, New England Patriot cornerback. Um, Ricky, so let me ask you this. How do the, in your opinion, how do the Buccaneers match up against the Cowboys this Monday night? Oh, wow. Good question. I think uh, both teams have their uh, you know, pluses and minuses. Uh, um, I, I think it's a fairly good matchup. Uh, you know, we played them you know, first game of the season this year, and Bucs were able to go out and, 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 and play well and, and uh, you know, get a, get a win. You know, out in Dallas, you know, which is it's not easy to go out and uh, win on the road. And so um, we know we're capable of beating them. Um, but I, I think we we match up. Uh, Dallas has a really strong defense and um, they can really get after you. Um, but, you know, we, we have the capabilities of, of getting that ball out and executing offensive wise and making some plays, you know, but we, we got to be careful of uh, taking care of the football is going to be very important offensively and, and defensively. Um, I think we, we match up well. Again, uh, we just have to get after Dak Prescott. We got to get some yep. hits on him and get him to where he's um, not comfortable in the pocket, you know, because we got, we got to get him to throw interceptions like he's been doing. And this team, this Cowboy team, I don't know if you know, I think they're one in four playing on grass on the road. So that's that's something else that I've kind of looked at that, you know, is kind of at our advantage that this team doesn't play well on the grass and they and they don't play as well on the road. So we have to take advantage of that. We got to jump on these guys early 
and uh, make uh, Dak Prescott uncomfortable. What scares you most about this Cowboys team? What scares me most? Probably, I would say their their uh, their defense, uh, that pass rush. Um, you know, getting after uh, uh, you know getting after Tom Brady is probably what scares me most because these guys uh, have the ability to really uh, after you. And and if he takes you know too many hits, it's, it's going to be a long day for our, for our offense. All right, Ricky. Look. Last question. I mean, I already know your answer, you being a defensive player, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, the Buccaneers, in order to make a run in this playoffs, need one of the two following things. You pick the one. They need the running game to come alive, or B, they need the defense to show up like they did two years ago in the Super Bowl run. <laughs> Oh my goodness, um, that's that's really good. I mean, because they definitely need both of them. Absolutely, I know they do. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say the defense. The defense has to show up and uh, shut shut opponents down, you know, and keep keep the offense in the game. If we can do that, we have a chance to win, especially with having Tom Brady at quarterback. Yeah, you know, anytime you have the legend at quarterback, anything can happen. Well, listen, Ricky. As always, I know you've been on our show many different times. Want to thank you so very, very much taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on Frankly Speaking Sports Carolina. Thanks, Larry. I enjoyed it. And, uh, I'll be on again. All right, buddy. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. That was the great Ricky Reynolds, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer and New England Patriot cornerback. Let's go ahead. I'm hearing it's time for a break. We'll be back right after this message. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports Carolina right here on WWBG 1470 AM and Tobacco Road Sports Radio. You know what, folks? It's only three weeks, three weeks away, and the NASCAR season is going to begin. That's right, right in L.A., and it is my great honor, thrill, and pleasure to have on with us right now on the Tobacco Road Sports Radio .com hotline. Let's welcome in award-winning NASCAR reporter at Fox Sports, Bob Parkers. Bob, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I want to thank you, first of all, for uh, taking time. I know out of what's a very busy schedule for you for joining us today on Frankly Speaking Sports Carolina. And I want to start off, Bob, right away. I know the story of NASCAR just coming down the pipes. Talk about, you know, Kevin Harvick announcing that after the 2023 season, he is going to be retiring from NASCAR. Talk about the impact that he has had the past decade or decade and a half on 
being a NASCAR driver on the NASCAR field. Yeah, I mean, talk about a driver who had an immediate impact when they got into a cup car, and that's Kevin Harvick in 2001 when he had to replace Dale Earnhardt uh, after Earnhardt's death in the 2001 Daytona 500. And he steps in, uh, and obviously an extremely tough situation, you know, no cup experience and he goes on to have you know a, a good year that year in cup and, and wins the uh what was then uh, the bush series title and from there you know he, he's you know continued to just rattle off wins uh has had just a incredible career with 60 uh, victories obviously the cup title with uh, Stuart haas racing just really you know think about his impact with both Richard Childress racing for more than a decade and Stuart Haas racing for more than a decade, both, you know, you know, where would those two organizations be without Kevin Harvick? And you'd likely say they wouldn't be as strong as they are now. Yeah, no doubt about that. And it was only a few months ago, I think three months ago, Bob, correct me if I'm wrong, that Kurt Busch also um, announced his retirement as well. I mean, who, I mean, now with these two guys retiring, we still got a mixture of guys that have been around, the Martin Truex and so on. But who are the new guys to take the step up now and replace these guys? <laughs> well, you know, I think if you look at a guy like Ross Chastain, he's saying that he's doing everything he can yep. to, uh, to replace those guys. Uh, you know, obviously the last few years, you've seen, you know, Chase Elliott emerge. You've seen Kyle Larson emerge uh, both having won cup titles and then you look at last year's cup champion joey logano and you say well gosh that guy's been around forever but yeah and yeah he has two titles but he's only what 32 years old mm -hmm. you know I mean, so he's gonna be a guy that's gonna be racing probably for another 10 years and then in one of those drivers who really you know is is one you say okay this guy you know is going to be somebody who's had a gonna have a 20-year impact much like kevin harvick has you know you talked about um how kevin harvick and i remember it very very well as you do had to replace or whatever the proper terminology is the uh dale earnhardt uh car and all that that happened and the pressure that was on him right from the get-go but since then, there's been a lot of safety changes due to that unfortunate incident with Dale Earnhardt Sr. Talk about where NASCAR has come and where it's going as far as you know from a safety standpoint. Well, I mean, you know, the, the fact that Dale Earnhardt was the last driver in a NASCAR National Series race to lose his life. Uh, and that being, you know, now 22 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't happen because of luck. You know, that happens because, you know, NASCAR made changes uh, to the cars. The tracks made changes uh, to the walls. And, and, you know, we've seen some, uh, you know, incredibly violent crashes and, you know, and drivers have been okay. Now, unfortunately, you know, this past year with this new next-gen car, that uh, they have had issues with concussions. Uh, Kurt Busch, you know, re retired from full-time racing after suffering concussions. Alex Bowman missed races last year because of concussions. And NASCAR is changing the car a little bit for this year, hoping that the impacts to the rear of the car, which were the ones that seem to be causing 
the, the concussions uh, w- w- that the car is able to handle those those impacts better. Uh, NASCAR kind of designed the car to to uh, to protect the driver from the most violent collisions. Of, you know, especially what they saw in the Ryan Newman accident a few years ago. But uh, the, it seemed like the back of the car, for lack of a better term, was just too stiff. Uh, they were trying to protect some of the parts and pieces uh, in that area, and and then it's that the drivers seem to be absorbing more of the energy in a crash than they have been previously, and, that, and you know, more than that they can that they can handle. So uh, hopefully, these changes uh, will make a difference. NASCAR's uh, done some crash testing last year too, and the drivers seem to be. Uh, optimistic from what they've seen in the data, uh, but unfortunately, you just never know until it happens uh, whether whether uh, whether gains have been made. We're talking about Bob Chris award-winning NASCAR reporter at Fox Sports. Bob, let me ask you this: This year, and I read it on your Twitter, and I know you reported on it. It's going to be a little weird because what was it? Petty and Jimmy Johnson kind of got now their partnership, and I'll let you elaborate on it a little more. In their own owner group ownership group, but the name Petty is not going to be. Um, it's going to be associated with it, but it's not going to be heard of on the actual name of the ownership. Right. So, uh, if you remember, before last season, uh, GMS Racing uh, bought, uh, you know, the majority of the majority. They bought out Andy Merstein, who owned the majority of of Richard Petty Motorsports, and so they renamed the, you know, the team Spurged as part of kind of the GMS takeover, and they renamed it as Petty GMS uh, Racing. After a year, uh, Jimmy Johnson has come in, and he's invested into the team, and, you know, in some ways, they, you know, they, it was like, well, how are you going to add Jimmy's name <laughs> to uh, already a team that kind of has two two names you know you know we, we, now there's Roush family Keselowski racing right so you know the three names can can be there but uh but they opted to uh just go with the name legacy motor club and in, and not have any of their names in the uh in the team name uh, now the 43 car will still be out on the track you will still see that iconic number but the name petty uh no longer is in a team name and you know i think that uh you know, it, it, the, the, the name is, has been in the team name, and I think, you know, in, in hopes of gathering sponsorship, right? You know, that, right. That the name Petty, everybody knows. Uh, but, you know, there, obviously you, you'd have to be with Richard Petty's last race being in 1992. Uh, you'd have to be over 30 years old to even have, uh, have a memory of, of watching him race. And so, you know, I think the feeling is, is that by – still having the number out there and having kind of a name that encompasses both uh, encompasses the history of Johnson and Petty that they hope that, uh, that, that uh, resonates with uh, sponsors and fans. And I guess uh, it just kind of remains to be seen if it does. You know, Bob, it's hard to believe only three weeks, buddy, three weeks away from the Bush like uh, clash in uh, the LA Coliseum, Talk about, and you had the great uh, privilege of covering it, obviously, last year. Talk about your memories of last year at the L.A. Coliseum, seeing I think it was the first race ever at the L.A. Coliseum, and talk about what's exciting you most about going back there this year. 
I, I, when I think about last year's race, it obviously was the, the first race for the next gen car, but everybody's like, what, how are you going to build a track inside the LA Memorial Coliseum? And I think most people thought, well, you know, this is, this is going to be a spectacle. Like it's going to, it's going to look cool, but uh, it could be a parade as far as the cars going around the track. And it actually turned out to be a pretty good race, you know, not the greatest race, but it was a, a much better race than I think many people anticipated. And I think that's kind of what I'm looking forward to again this year is to see how, now that the teams have, have been there before, now that they've had a year with this car, just what, just what will this race be like? What will, um, you know, just how much, you know, I mean, drivers got to have ideas on how to pass that they just did not know either, you know, how to navigate the track or navigate the car a year ago. So it's going to be a really intriguing race. And then, of course, you got a lot of new faces and new places, including the Kyle Busch driving for Richard Childress. And I think everybody's interested to see how that looks and see how they do right off the bat. You know, let me ask you this, and I know it's so hard to do, beginning of the year, but from all these races, and you know them inside out, Bob, who would you pick as an early favorite to win this race? Uh, wow, to win the, 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 the Clash? Yes. Um, that, that, that's a great question. I would... Uh, I would say Ross Chastain. I mean, because because we, what you've seen, you know, that Ross Chastain uh, isn't uh, worried about uh, making friends, and he's uh, willing to take risks, and he's obviously full of confidence, way more than he had a year ago in his first race with uh, with Trackhouse, and I think he'll be pretty uh, he'll be pretty darn good at the Coliseum, and just as you said, I mean, I mean they're they're going to be on the track. In, uh, in just a few weeks. Yeah, and the early excitement, does, you know, doesn't help them necessarily because they're all excited for the first race. But I want to ask you a question, Bob. I'd been dying to ask it. I knew I'd get to talk to you again. Maybe you can answer this for me. Martin Truex, what is it about him and the reason maybe behind it that he hasn't won on, you know, the, how do you say it, the sports highest bank speedways like Talladega and Daytona, and he's so successful. But what is it, and what do you think his chances this year of winning the Daytona 500 are? <laughs> I, you know, I think, uh, you know, he's come close, right? He's come yep. as close as you could get. Uh, but, you know, I think, uh, I think Truex is a very calculated driver, and sometimes maybe on those tracks you just have to run on instinct, right? And uh, maybe he just thinks just a little bit too much. And uh, and maybe, you know, you know, could there be times, I wouldn't say in the Daytona 500, but maybe some other races on those tracks where he's saying, okay, let me just, uh, you know, hopefully come out with, uh, with the car in one piece and a decent finish and go on to uh, – to the next race, uh, but you know, I, again, what are his chances to win the Daytona 500? <laughs> you know, well, considering everybody says that everybody in the 40 car field has a chance, right? Uh, but I, you know, I certainly think it's better than 2.5 percent. I'd say it's about 15 percent, and uh, and that's pretty high considering it's the Daytona 500, and there are a lot of drivers who have a shot to. Bob, last question before I let you run here. It's a two part question. Who this year, 2023, the entire year, 
kind of has a chip on their shoulder and has the most to prove after last year's performance. And then the last part of the question is, who are some of the young, unexpected drivers that are you ex are excited about watching this year that can come to the forefront in NASCAR? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, I already mentioned him. I think Kyle Busch is the one with the chip on his shoulder. Right? Uh, he, he, last year, his only win came on the Bristol dirt. Uh, he obviously, um, you know, couldn't come to terms with Joe Gibbs racing to stay there. Uh, so I think, you know, he certainly has a chip on his shoulder to prove that he could go to another team and, you know, run just as well as he did. And, you know, when he was uh, winning races and championships at Gibbs, as far as young drivers to look for, you know, uh, I, I'm going to look at Christopher Bell and Chase Briscoe. They were both, uh, obviously, Bell uh, had those two big wins in the uh, walk-off wins to advance in the playoffs last year. Chase Briscoe had, I want to say, eight top tens in his last ten races. Those two drivers, I think, are ready for breakout years and you know it usually takes about two three four years for a driver to kind of find his his footing in cup and i think those drivers are just finding their foot just finding that and i i think they're going to really have seasons uh where when it comes down to phoenix we're going to potentially be talking about them challenging for the title all right my friend i know time goes quick it's like we just started but and time's going to go quick the next three weeks, I know, especially for you. But I want to take the time to thank you so very, very much, taking time out of your schedule to come on Frankly Speaking Sports Carolina today. All right. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Stay safe. Do. All right. That was the great Bob Pockris, award-winning NASCAR reporter at Fox Sports. Well, folks, we're out of time, baby. Oh, my goodness, does time fly. Well, we'll be back again. Next week, same time, same channel, right here on WWBG Radio, AM, and TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Goodbye, everyone, and have a great week.